Let me assure you that there is no way in two lessons that we can have a good class on how to study the Bible. I mean, it's we could probably spend a term just learning how to study the Bible. In fact, I am not going to go over the material that I even gave you in the book. What I've given you there is for your use in in your, your own studies, if you never get into any thoughts there as, as a guidance for it. But let me ask you this question. When you think about studying the Bible, what picture of what that looks like comes to your mind? Well, I would say sitting at a table or a desk with a Bible and some sort of additional text, like a Bible dictionary or something, something to help me understand the scripture. Okay, that's a good idea. At a table, at a desk, with the Bible and perhaps some kind of aid, in, and I know Mitch has got a class coming talking about you know those kinds of things. There. Anybody else got a viewpoint? Don, I've got a library. <laughs> I know you do. <laughs> you know, when when you look at at what is out there to be used, and and Mitch is going to get into it. There's a whole bunch of stuff that should never be open. Yeah. But there are some select volumes uh, written by scholars. Unfortunately, most of them were, were 17th and early 18th century scholars that have got a good grip on the overall picture of the Bible and can put it into perspective. And then when you start looking at, at the dictionaries, uh, I, use, I use Greek and Hebrew dictionaries and never ever turn to uh, Miriam's Collegiate. Yeah. Go back if you want a Webster's Dictionary, get the one from 1828. 1828 English Language Dictionary was based upon all of the English words found in the King James Bible. And so if, if you know what to look for and pick these, these volumes, then it's a simple matter to open them up and use them. And the more you use them, the more you study, the easier it is to pick, oh, I need this one for this book. I need this one for this book. And the same source may not be good for all of, of the Bible. And, and I hope Mitch gets into that when he talks about the, the various study aids that are available. Because yeah, that could be multiple classes as well, in my opinion. Yes. Um, yeah. So, in my mind, so Bible study to me is just a quiet space, time, and then it's my Bible and a notebook or a journal. And it's just pulling, depending on what I'm trying to study, but pulling out from just God's Word and making connections or seeing, like, you know, within the Bible or within a story or themes and um, highlighters or, you know, and things to try to, try to just derive from His. And I think that there's different there's, there's different types of Bible study. Like if there's something specific you're looking for, maybe there's someone else someone else has written something that you're. But I think just Bible study on its own. I think that's where you have to start is the Bible. Yes. Yeah. In the lesson material, I will go there for just a second. I asked the question: What was the Ethiopian eunuch doing in Acts chapter eight, verse thirty? It says, 
Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, do you understand what you are reading? So what was he doing? Reading. Reading. And the second question I had is, what did the Ethiopian realize after he was questioned by Philip? He what? He didn't understand. He needed some help in understanding what he was reading. So I'm going to spend probably tonight and Sunday just talking about some types of, of, of Bible study. There are many types and ways, trust me, to study the Bible. You can do it all the way from a cursory look to an in-depth um, examination. Um, you can spend a little time studying, or you can do an in-depth study with lots of time spent. I know in, in preparing for classes and teaching, just ask Peggy, I can spend hours in the office uh, getting ready and getting my thoughts together, and that time can go just like that. It, it surprises me. And yet there are other times where, you know, sometimes just having a half an hour um, it is good. You know, this class, as we had mentioned probably more than once, came as a result of a survey that most of you probably answered about what your weeks, strengths and weaknesses were. And Bible study was one of the things that was up there. And of course, we struggle with I, what does that mean? And I think probably it's that we want to study more, but we're not studying. And so the question is, why? Why? I think for a lot of people, it's a pretty daunting task. They see this big book. They see a lot of historical reference. They see a different type of writing that they're not used to. And I think for some, it's just, where do I start? And then how do I build upon that? It's easy when you, you know, different subjects, foundational learning and going step by step. But without, you know, and that's why it's so important to have mentors and good teachers and people that know, just like with the, you know, the eunuch, um, had somebody there to explain yeah. it. Because if you don't, you're going to get lost, and then you're going to get discouraged, and then you're going to stop. And that's why it's so important to have a way or different types, because everyone learns differently. So that's one good reason that it, people can see it as daunting and, and don't know where to begin, you know, where to, to where to start. What are some other reasons? I think uh, being able to appropriate the right time. The time. The right time. I know when you're working, and I don't have to worry about that either. Just not when you're working, it it does. It is hard to find the time to do a daily Bible study. Um, but your days are all coming when you can retire and you can have that time, you know, to do this kind of stuff. But what are some other reasons why we don't study? Complacency. Complacency. That could be, uh, uh, okay, I'll get enough out of classes, I'll get enough out of sermons that I don't need to spend any more time studying. Well, for me, I have to, it's been kind of figuring out what works at different points in my life. And for a while, I really liked the challenge of reading through the Bible in a whole year. And you did, I did get a little tired because it takes to like almost October until you're in the New Testament. And sometimes those numbers chapters aren't as, as interesting if you're just read, if you're doing it just to read through. And so I've had, since having children and having a different phase of life, there's been different things. And 
the one that I currently love is um, a friend challenged me to just write a few verses a day and write them out in like different markers and things like that to pull out phrases. But I think that sometimes I had thought that I had to read through the Bible in a year. That was what I was supposed to do. But I have to say, after like two years, I was like, the third year came around, like, this is not as exciting for me anymore. I, I needed to try something new. And I think that that's a good a good thing, too. I think that's what, this is the first place I've been where we really have a program for going through the entire Bible, for the most part, in the course of about five and a half years, especially like that with the kids, because when they get to a certain level of age, at that point they could have gone through the Bible at least twice through and have a pretty good understanding. I, I know... Um, David and I uh, taught the junior high class, and we were we were wowed at uh, how smart those junior high kids were, and what they know, and what they comprehend, and what they can share. So we got some good kids here, and we really do need to keep keep them engaged because there will be a long term you know benefit from that. Don, I have never <clears throat> recommended to somebody just starting the Bible. That they read the whole thing from cover to cover. Yeah. I use my son-in-law as an example. You know, we go fishing, he wouldn't talk the Bible. And all of a sudden we got him started. And I wanted him to read Luke and Acts. Read Luke and Acts. There's a history of the start of the New Testament church. Yeah. And you're going to see conversions, you're going to see uh, dedicated lessons, you're going to see an awful lot about Jesus, the life of Jesus, and the start of the church. Once that was accomplished, then we'd go back and we'd look at John. And when you look at John, the, the, the basic reason is to convince that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and the only one sent from heaven, you know, to save us. And with those three as a foundation then, and using that as a text, then you can go to the the broader text, the extended text, you might call it. And then once you get the extended text, you can go to the remote text, which takes you from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21. And, you know, using that as the basis, now, where did this come from? Well, it came from back here. Where's it going? What's going over here? You pick another subject. Where did it come from? It come from over here. It's going back over there. But once you get that foundation that there is a God, that his son is Jesus Christ, that he's got the only message for us, then what's the message? Develop that and then broaden out from there. It, that's, a, that's a good idea. We're going to look at six different types of Bible study in, in these uh, next two lessons. And together we'll consider how these uh, methods work and what kind of objectives they, they satisfy. Um, but before we look at the different methods of studying the Bible, I want to discuss the principle of maturity and how it relates to studying the Bible. The Bible lays out a very clear picture of the process that we go through as believers. The spiritual word is sanctification, but we might think of it more as growing up. The key concept of growing up is transitioning from being able to do a little to being able to do a lot or to do a lot more. The writer of the 
of the book of Hebrews expresses this with a food metaphor. And let's turn to Hebrews chapter 5. And if I can get something just to read verse 12, chapter 5 of the book of Hebrews. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk not and not solid food. So what expectation, and it's not clear who the writer of the book of Hebrews is, I'm convinced it's Paul, but what expectation does the writer have for this audience, for this letter? As we just read in verse 12. That they should grow. They should grow. Yeah. And at that particular point that he wrote this, where did he expect them to be teachers. in their growth? Teachers, not students. To be teachers. But they were still having to spend time way back here talking about the elementary principles. Um, so what was the real circumstance that was lived out by the audience then? Where were they at? I can tell you where they weren't. They weren't where they should have been over the course of whatever that time period was. They should have been had enough understanding, and they, they were blessed with this, <laughs> what we have, but at that time they should have been teaching. Instead, they were having to be taught elementary principles. Jesus said the same thing to Nicodemus. Are you a teacher of Israel and you do not understand the simple washing and cleansing and sanctification process? Uh, you won't find those words in John chapter 3. But that was his intent. Here's a teacher that was, was teaching Israel how to come to God. And part of that was the, the washing and the regeneration the sacrifice. And he's talking to them about being born again of water. And Nicodemus doesn't understand the purpose of those washings in the Old Testament. And he is an old, elder teacher of Israel. And we can be the same way. We can, we can, you know, go chugging along and not grow into the fullness and the richness of the Scripture. Yeah. And, and, and frankly, that's kind of a good summation of what that verse, what is that verse telling us? Not there. That over a period of time, we should be able to be growing up. What do you think is the principal focus of an eldership? Spiritual growth. You know, seeing the people, the members of the church growing, growing up. Well, look there at verse. Which the Holy Spirit has made you over. Yeah. Look at verse 13. For everyone who drinks only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infinite. Yeah, infinite. He is an infant. How does the, the writer there describe spiritual milk? The first principles. The first principles. And it's good for a time, 
just like it is good for an infant, but there is a point where you need what? Solid food. Look at verse 14. But solid food is for the mature who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Well, there's an element of maturity. Growing spiritually gets to the point where we begin to practice what we have learned. But also, what's another key thing that we should be doing always as Christians? With No, in that verse. It starts a D word. Discern. Discern what? Good and evil. How do you know what's good? How do you know what's evil? You got to find that with <coughs> the solid food, with God's God's word. So, I guess I'm trying to encourage you that there's we all need to grow, and yes, we can all grow at diff, different rates. But man, if if one has still been a Christian for 20 years and is fumbling trying to find a book, you know, in the Bible, yikes! Some something's amiss. Something's wrong there. Paul uses the same idea in uh, a similar way in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. If you'll turn there. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. Roland, do you have those verses? I fed you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready. In fact... You are still not ready, for you are still influenced by the flesh. For since there is still jealousy and dissension among you, are you not influenced by the flesh and behaving like unregenerate people? It's a pretty serious rebuke, isn't it, that Paul is saying to the church there in Corinth. I gave you milk, he says. I gave you milk. I didn't give you solid food. Because you're not ready for the solid food. And why weren't they ready? Because of the jealousy and strife. Yeah, the jealousy and strife. And then how does he label that jealousy and strife that was within this body? He uses that word fleshly. You are still fleshly. Um, and you're walking like everybody else and you should be walking differently. So again, the idea that even though they didn't have what we've got, Paul's teaching to them was, you, you need meat. I gave you milk, but you, you, need, you need meat. You need meat to, to be able to grow up. Um, so please note though that both Paul, and I believe he is the writer of the book of Hebrews as well, express disappointment, and they express concern that the readers are still what? Spiritually. Babies. Babies. And by now they should have grown up and moved beyond baby food. Brad, do you still eat baby food? Oh, yeah. <laughs> 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 I'm going to his house. 
No, I was just thinking in, in education, we start off with the small pieces until they've mastered it. And then they, in order to have them prove that they've learned it, they need to synthesize that and be able to produce some kind of product. And teachers are there to constantly push and nudge and, and catch those kids who aren't synthesizing or understanding or being, or, uh, who can't prove their learning. I think that it's easy to hide our lack of knowledge and our lack of synthesis with biblical things because um, no one's there to constantly um, quiz us. And, and But it's not trivia. It's our lives should show that. But I think it's really easy to, to kind of hide behind our ignorance. It is. As grown-ups. I mean, even as a, because for the longest time I kept my Christianity hidden. I didn't share it with it. I didn't act like everybody else, but I didn't let it be. I was accused once in a while of being a Mormon, but, <laughs> but yeah, we've got to, you know, I love the idea of the product. What is our product? What should be our product? Righteousness. Yeah, righteousness, how we live our lives, what we think, what we say, what we do. And that is where the spiritual maturity should be seen, is in that thing. So I can't read your thoughts, but you know your thoughts, and your thoughts should be getting better spiritually, you know, over the course of time. Don? In my electronics courses, I opened every class with a 20 question quiz. You know, quickie quiz thing, you ought to be able to write it real quick. Shouldn't take more than 10 minutes to go through all 20 questions. Based upon what we had covered thus far in the trimester, quarter, semester, whichever. So every day, walking into class, the students knew that they were going to have that quiz based upon what they should remember. What would happen to a Bible class if we did the same thing? <laughs> it would probably go. Frankly, I'm would, not coming no more. It would go empty. Yeah. Over the course of time, it would go empty. So the criterion objective testing, which works in public schools where it's dictated that you will be there, doesn't work necessarily in a voluntary organization like this. It does. But are we being tested? Yes. yes. The big test comes at judgment. Yes, we are being tested. We, are. we certainly point. are being <clears throat> tested. The goal of spiritual growth is to be able to handle spiritual meat. And meat is very different from milk. I like milk, but I also like steak. <laughs> so, <laughs> More than milk. <laughs> so like said, in education, you know, it's we're constantly checking it. And, and yes, in our lives it should show by our righteousness. But like you said, that they were still students, they weren't teachers. And that should be showing in our lives, too. The more that we study, the more that we learn, the more that we should be able to participate in the Bible classes. And we should be able to share our knowledge and question deeper level questions and things. And I think that is a good way for us to check also ourselves as well as each other. Because it, I think at different points in your life, your different ways of studying the Bible, people do go through stagnant periods. And I think that by being very involved with each other and being involved in a time there's a Bible class, a women's Bible class, or a men's Bible class, or just a personal Bible study with someone, I think that, and asking those deeper questions and thought-provoking questions that 
help you dig deeper into God's word. I think that that's something that's a good check for us, but also for our loved ones. You know. I I agree with you. Um, you know, one thing different about meat and and milk is that meat takes requires strong teeth <laughs> and muscles. Okay. <laughs> in order to chew it and in a, a strong stomach to digest it. And as we grow spiritually in maturity, it takes a little bit of strength and a strong stomach to stand up for what we believe in and not be afraid to share our faith. In fact, there's probably just a few in here that probably wouldn't be capable of maybe teaching some of our young children, but I think the majority of us in here could teach and I've been in congregations where I had the responsibility to line teachers. Let me tell you, that's a, it's a detestable job trying to just get people to teach just, you know, one period. Um, but we should all be able to be able to do that. Um, I think the principle of milk and meat is very useful to help us understand the different kinds of, of Bible study that we're going to look at. Just as babies need milk, some Bible studies are appropriate for those who are still spiritual babies. They are simple enough that the student doesn't need much skill or experience, and they teach lessons that are appropriate to a simple understanding of faith and for the need to be obedient to what you read. Kind of lining that up with milk and meat, babies are fed milk, and as you grow, you eat meat. You don't have somebody feeding. That's you. a good point so too. So there's some personal responsibility I like that. along with that. I hadn't thought of that, but that I like that concept. You know, when you get to the point of eating meat, you mom, may, mom may still need to cut it up for a time, <laughs> but mom's not going to digest it for you or chew it for you. Other studies are more like. Uh, a meat and are rightfully intended for those who are more mature. Um, those kinds of studies can deal with some very complex and difficult topics and um, require a lot of experience and knowledge. In fact, if that was given to a spiritual baby, um, the outcome would not be probably very good. I remember when I first started dating Peggy. She wanted to go to church with me, so we went. Guess what we were studying in class on Sunday morning? The book of Revelation. <laughs> Not the best book to dive into, you know, when some... She survived it. <laughs> she survived it. But she'll ask her and she'll tell you, yeah, that's, that's what we were studying. But please understand, though, that just because one type of study is, is simpler than what you're capable of digesting doesn't mean that it has no use to you at all because it will have use. Adults can still drink milk. I like my milk and cookies. <laughs> and we can all still eat soft foods. And sometimes even a lesson from the pulpit can be very basic. But sometimes oh, those basic fundamental things still need to be reiterated and retaught and kept in, in front of us. They aren't only for babies. Uh, in the same way you can find great benefit in some of the more milk-like you know, Bible studies, but in many cases the best way to grow is to actually have a balanced diet of what? 
milk and meat. <laughs> there you go. <clears throat> so with that said, I'm going to give you method number one. Oh, and this one's tough. Read the Bible. <laughs> I know that sounds silly, uh, but reading your Bible is really the simplest form of study. Um, reading promotes what? Why do teachers teach reading? And we've got some teachers in our audience. I love it. Understanding. Understanding. To promote understanding and awareness of the information that God chose. Remember my lesson about this being an inspired piece? God chose these words to put before us. So awareness of the information that God wants us to, to know. In terms of the things that you can do on your own, this is probably the simplest thing you can do. Okay. As a study method, however, reading your Bible doesn't take you very deep into the meaning and really re reveal what God has to say. I mean, it'll eventually come, but if you're just reading for the sake of reading, it, it, it may not get you where you want to go. Um, it allows you to skim over the surface. To use another analogy, it's like snorkeling as opposed to scuba diving. Because <laughs> snorkeling will keep you on the surface, but if you really want to see the beauty of what's at the bottom, you've got to get onto the tank and get, get down below the surface to see what's there. <coughs> so you're always close, with just basically reading, you're very close to the surface. Uh, but the good news, is that there are still plenty of lessons on the surface that you can pick up. Um, it doesn't take a really deep dive to find value when reading God's Word. And that's often why new believers uh, or people seeking God are encouraged to read the book. And, for, and I know you said you did, but a lot of people start out by reading the book of John simply because it is a good introduction to Christ. <clears throat> and his, who he was, what he did, and, and his character. Short side story. Elaine Pagel, who is the chair of the Bible department, theology department at Harvard University, when the Nag Hammadi, the Gnostic Gospels, were being discussed at great length by Science Channel and, and National Geographic and whoever else, they were interviewing her and what her thoughts were on the Nagamati documents because, you know, theology department is the study of all gods and all documents, right? She made the statement that after reading the book of John, it is apparent that John was writing against those Gnostic documents of his time. And I'm saying to myself, she's the chair of the theologic department, theology department at Harvard. And she didn't read John until after the argument started? <laughs> oh, it, it, it's pretty amazing. <laughs> but as soon as she read it, she recognized immediately his arguments were against those Gnostic documents. Yeah, you know, if you read the book of John, again, it, it's, it's, the truth is readily apparent in that book. 
it doesn't take any special skill, you know, to discover what that basic message is. Now, there are many different ways one can read the Bible. How many of you ever done one of those annual reading plans? How many have ever stayed with it? <laughs> it averages about 12 minutes a day. Just 12 minutes a day. Uh, if you did it every day for, for a period of a year. But other reading options that don't involve reading the whole Bible, and, and I agree with Don, do not start at the front and read your way to the back because it will just be confusing. But starting with a book, any book, even like the book of Proverbs. I love the book of Proverbs. But uh, one chapter a day until you get through the book. And that's just a way of reading God's Word. <clears throat> So here's, here's a, the second one. Memorize. You know, in our life we can memorize all sorts of things. And I can tell you when I was younger, <laughs> it's easier to remember things than it is when you get, when you get older. But we have birthdays. Well, we used to remember phone numbers, but we don't have to do that anymore either with modern technology. But I know people that can remember and, and reiterate lines from movies, um, lyrics of songs um, that we hear. So why not memorize the Word of God too? Um, in Psalms 119, verse 11, right, David writes that he memorized God's Word so that he would not sin. Um, he read God's Word so that he would know what God wanted him to do and, and subsequently in doing that he would avoid um, sinning. So, memorizing the Bible is supposedly more like milk though than meat. Um, I don't know about you, I don't commit things to memory. I know where to go, but I don't, I, I, I'm not one of those kinds of persons that will, you know, memorize something. If I did, it would probably be my favorite book in the Old Testament. Anybody know what that is? Proverbs. No, it's Ecclesiastes. But boy, if there was one I could memorize chapter and verse, it would be the book of Proverbs because there are so many good guidelines in conducting yourself in that book. But just because a passage in the Bible hasn't been committed to memory doesn't mean we come to know all the points that God is still trying to make. But it is a good method of study. But we do get a good sense of the message that he's delivering. And frankly, many people are intimidated. I saw heads going like this that are intimidated with the idea of memorizing the Bible. I'm one of those. Um, and I'm not content with the fact that I don't work to try to memorize things. I like your idea, Lisa, where you know you can just write a few out each day and Put your mind and focus on those few verses for the day. If that brings about memorization for a day, <laughs> those verses, then that's all that's all well and good as well. 
might just, uh, it might be, uh, because everyone is not really good at memorizing the chapter first, the concepts are far more important. That, that's a good point. The idea of knowing where things are, getting the concept of memorizing that. I'll just close this idea. I, I'm not saying that I'm not good at memorizing things because that's an excuse, okay? I'm not here to argue about how skilled you are or are not at memorizing. But I do know that we're all capable of memorizing something because we do it on a daily basis. So we'll pick up, there's four more methodologies. Another one that would be considered milk and then we'll get into some meat after that.